0: Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name is Andrew Popel and today I'm joined on the show by Sydney Koo. The Final Draft Podcast explores books, writing and literary culture. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney and at Final Draft we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing from debut authors to the classics that you know and love. These conversations look at the issues that drive the author's storytelling, a way to help you discover more from the books you love because these are the stories that make us who we are. Two SCR broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunnagurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. These are unceded lands, and treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. As I mentioned today, I am joined by Sydney Koo, And they are bringing in their new novel. It is called The Spider and Her Demons. This is an incredible YA novel, an incredible new world to discover about what it means to survive high school and what it means to not be like everyone else. I absolutely loved this book. And more so, I I loved this conversation with Sydney. So, it is great to be bringing it to you in its entirety. Join me as we discover the spider and her demons. Uh, This is Final Draft Books, Writing and Literary Culture. My name is Andrew Popel, my pronouns are he, him, and I am introducing you to a fabulous... New book, a fabulous author that I have discovered, Sydney Koo, uh, pronouns they, them. Sydney is a non-binary and aromantic asexual writer born on Dural country to Malaysian Chinese parents. They are the recipient of the Penguin Random House Australia's Write It Fellowship. And Sydney is joining us today with their new novel, The Spider and Her Demons, <coughs> containing the excitement. Sydney, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for
0: having me, Andrew. We geeked out. Off air, we were were having a a proper little uh, chat about some of the influences, and I'm really excited to get into this. High school. High school can be hard at the best of times, but somehow Z juggles study, tutoring, and working in her aunt's dumpling shop. Z's Aunt May has sacrificed a lot so that Z can attend a private school, and all she asks in return is that Z maintain an 85-point grade average and hide the fact she has fangs, spinnerets, and four prehensile limbs that emerge from her back. All right, Sydney, this story is wild. I don't think anyone needs more of an intro to want to get into it, but we are still going to talk about this. Uh, about this. Let's go back to school now, I find it's a hard topic to discuss because we're we're all, like, we're all so caught up in our own remembrances, and it, be they good or be they bad, that it's difficult to appreciate anyone else feels differently. You present a seemingly stark contrast between Zee and many of her classmates, their experience of this privileged school. How did you want to depict school as this sort of site of emotional action?
1: Um, I guess... It was a very similar situation for me growing up because I also went to a private school, but a lot of my classmates were of a higher financial threshold to me. Is that like the correct wording? I think that's that's fine. Um, but you get, SES, you get,
0: socioeconomic status? Yeah. It,
1: they, so we'd go out for lunch on weekends sometimes and I'd only be able to afford, you know, the entree on the menu and they'd be ordering, you know, three course meals and things like that. And it was a very, I felt like it was a very different experience for me going to school, and you try and fit in the best you can, but you're still very conscious of the differences, whether it's having to buy the secondhand school uniform, the secondhand textbooks, uh, things like that. It's just not, you You feel welcomed, but at the same time, you're very aware that there's a difference between you, which I wanted V to feel.
0: And it's, really weird. I, I don't know if you agree here, but we have these mixed messages around, you know, fitting in and celebrating individuality and, you know, making your mark, but not too much, you know, like <laughs> the, the negotiation is fraught and nobody gives you the rule book until you're, you know, I don't know, in your 20s or in your 30s when you kind of write it for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things where, even though it's been well over 10 years since I've been in high school, you don't forget any of those experiences. They stay at the back of your mind and they influence how you behave in other situations as an adult.
0: It feels like something of a liminal zone for Z. Sure. She has to work really hard to get good grades. Um, She's also working uh, after school. She has to hide her true self, but then again we have spaces as a school as a space where she can explore friendships in a way that her aunt really won't allow anywhere else. She wants her to be committed. She wants her to uh, I'm going to I'm going to butcher the mantra here but you know stay small. Yep, yeah. T- tell me about establishing some of those grounding relationships between these friendship group with the Nadira and Angela.
1: I think it I think I struggle with friendships too. Even I'm in my 30s and I still you feel this disconnect and this is desperation for intimacy in your relationships, in your friendships. But people have other commitments or they have other views of relationships that don't quite align with yours. So for V, I wanted her intimacy to be expressed primarily through the group chats. That's where she feels closest to everybody. But even then, if you're if you've read the group chats, you know that. There are moments where she doesn't know what to reply. She doesn't know what to say. She feels like she's interrupting the conversation, but that's how friendship is for her. She's just trying her best and she's happy to belong anywhere. So, the fact that Angela and Nadira have welcomed her into their group chat, into their friendship, is something that she holds very dearly to her.
0: Mm, and it feels like, again, coming back to that idea of of how do we negotiate fitting in and and our individuality, it's like, you have to be open, but Z very much understands that openness only goes so far and yeah. um, authentic selves are reliant on an accepting environment, basically. she She's not sure if she can trust Nadira and Angela to the point of, I'm going to share everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. The subject of much of the school's gossip is Dior... Nix, I didn't check the spe- the pronunciation of the yeah, surname there. That's correct. Right? correct. Yeah. <laughs> of Dior. Dior is an interesting character, and I'm reluctant to say too much lest it give anything away. But how do you introduce Dior and tell me about that that type of character? That character who is the subject of, but never, I guess, the, a part of the conversation.
1: So Dior Pannix is dubbed by everybody at school the most popular girl in school. I. think think there's a bit of mystery about her, but everybody does love to talk about her, obsess over what she's doing, over parts of her life that you know, like you know, share gossip like you do at school because there's nothing else interesting going on. Your whole world is your school life, and the only things there are to talk about are other people or schoolwork. So most of the yeah, most of the kids at school love talking about her.
0: Mm. What was important in establishing this character who was central but also uh, apart from
1: I think I wanted her to be kind of I think I have a line in the book where V describes herself as possibly the anti Dior because they're so different whereas where Dior is tall beautiful she does a lot of extracurricular activities because her parents can afford it Uh, she's well liked she's sociable she's rich uh Z is pretty much the opposite. She doesn't come from a very financially stable background. She's short. Mm. She doesn't consider herself very attractive. I mean, she's got like all these extra limbs that she has to hide at all times. So she's got the, yeah, she's the the complete opposite of Dio.
0: Was there, do you think at any point in the book Z becomes aware of, I guess call it an irony of the way she's focusing gaze on Dior that very much what um what she sees in Dior um and and herself they they are far more similar uh than they are apart she focuses very much on Dior's external world without any awareness of her internal world which is also very much the thing that Z is is sort of working through herself
1: Yeah I think that's what happens when you don't really know someone right mm. even I mean even even if you kind of get to know someone as an acquaintance, you don't know all the nitty gritties of how their brain works and what wavelength they're on. And I think once you really get to know somebody, you can realize that all the things that you thought you knew about them were completely misguided. Because we make assumptions about people when we meet them. So it it does take a while for Z to figure out that they are similar in a sense. Mm. But I think Dio understood that much sooner than...
0: Then Z did. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely, and we're we we're, we're dancing around here. <laughs> Cindy, yeah, we are, yeah, yeah. We are absolutely <laughs> no dancing. spoilers,
1: no spoilers. Yep.
0: And we're, but we're also just dancing around like the big thing that you know we already know. But I, I find this really important because uh, again, off air, I think we established that we um we both fan out in our own ways for um for pop culture and and genre. I'm really just talking in generalizations here. But that stuff only works when it's driven by incredible characters and stories that feel very grounded, very human, even when we're dealing with massively fantastical concept. And look, I have, I've been careful with spoilers here, but it's not like it's a big secret. It's right there on the cover. So I'm just going to jump right in. Z is a spider demon, but Z is also a 15 year old uh, girl going to school like we all did. I love this. Where did the concept come to for you, come from for you?
1: Um, I will have to give you a little bit of context Uh, in, The seed for the idea started in 2016, end of 2016, when Marvel and Sony were looking for the next Spider-Man. This is before Tom Holland was cast. Uh, And, you know, all these celebrities were posting photos saying, it could be me, I could be the next Spider-Man. And people were posting their own fan casts. And I became completely fixated with the idea of there being a Chinese-American Peter Parker who lived in Chinatown, New York, above his Aunt May's dumpling shop. I became... So infatuated with the idea. I was dreaming about it. I had all these ideas that I was keeping in a in my notes app on my phone. But when I went down to write it, it, I think it grew out of my control. It kept swerving into areas so far from canon that it no longer resembled anything that could be considered Spider-Man fan fiction. When I started my Masters of Creative Writing, I had two subjects called Writing Project One and Writing Project Two. And we had to write a book for that. And I think all writers have like a backlog of ideas that they do want to explore at some point. And I thought, okay, well, that one's one that I've been thinking about for the longest, probably a year and a half at that point. Let's, let's try that one. So I started writing it and it came quite easily to come up with the characters and the setting. But I really, really struggled with plot. So I got maybe five to six chapters written while I was doing that course. And then once I graduated... I didn't know what to do with it. So I put it in a drawer and I didn't touch it again. Um, in 2019, a friend sent me a link to the Penguin Random House right at Festival, uh, right at Fellowship, sorry, and said that I should enter something into that. And that was the only piece of work that I had that was long enough and polished enough to fit the terms and conditions. So I submitted that thinking nothing is going to come of that. You know, I I don't have the full idea yet. It's they're going to read it, dismiss it. And that's fine. I have a thing where I aim for eight rejections a year, and that was just going to be one of my eight rejections. Um, and then I got shortlisted and it was great news until they asked for the rest of the manuscript, which I did not have. I had at most 10,000 words and they wanted the rest of it, which I didn't know what to do. I just, I just gave a notice at my office job and I had, three weeks until the deadline for the manuscript to be due. So I finished out the last week at my office job and then just spent two weeks going to the dog park with my dog and just writing until the sun went down. It was garbage. It was absolutely garbage. I submitted it anyway, thinking, well, I tried my best. I didn't waste the opportunity. Just do what you can, submitted it. And when I received the fellowship, I was so confused. I had no idea how could you have... I mean, the last two chapters were essentially dot points, that I'd removed the dots of. It was the best that I could do. Um, But then from there, Michelle Madden, who is my editor at Penguin, gave me loads of notes on how I could fix up the character arc, the emotional arcs, all that kind of thing, and put it into some sort of structure. And now we are where we are now. So we kept a lot of the spider references that were inspired by the original fan fiction idea the same. Um, I think the only thing that really nods towards it is Aunt May being called Aunt May. But I wanted to move the story to Chinatown, Sydney, and Michelle said that was fine. Uh, And I really wanted Z to have a quintessentially Chinese name Mm. because I wanted her to have that struggle of people not being able to pronounce her name or butchering her name often. And I think it adds that level of otherness when you're living in Australia because you're immediately seen as differently for having that Chinese name. The things like that, yeah, that it, it is I think obvious if you know to look for it that it is originally birthed from the idea of being Spider Man fiction. Sorry, have I have I rambled
0: too long? No. No, I'm just. What I'm going to do is we're, we're popping a little audio bookmark in here. Like I don't know how to do that. I'm just. I'm making a little bookmark symbol on the camera here. This is, this is deep cut stuff. This will be in the podcast. I've got questions. We're going to come back to them later because they're not relevant right now. But um, yeah, just again, fan fan type questions. I am, however, I'm fascinated by world building, and oh, Z's okay, world yeah. is immersive. Did you need to fully realise this world of, let's? I'm just going to use the term otherworldly characters. Did you need to realise this world of otherworldly characters for yourself before writing? Or were you kind of flying by the seat of your pants or flying by the seat of your spinneret, <laughs> as it were?
1: That's, that's such a great line. Um, actually, before we go there, I really liked your elevator pitch for my book. I think it's better than my elevator pitch. So I'm going to um, have to go back and listen to that and write that down. And I'm going to steal it from you because it was so good.
0: i um, to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, I had when I was writing the first draft, I had the world like Z's world of demons and the backstory for Z all plotted out in my mind. I had all the details sorted, but I wasn't sure. I mean, I don't really think this is a spoiler, but there's a world of witches as well. In this book and yeah, that's I wasn't, why i said
0: otherworldly because i wasn't sure if we yeah. were talking about the witches i
1: mean i mean i think the marketing material says like uncover a world of witches and demons so i think i think that's fine um i wasn't too sure what i wanted to do with that because in my head i actually had this plotted out as a trilogy and there was a lot more detail about the World of Witches in my initial first draft. But when Penguin offered me the contract, they said, "Ah, uh, we only want it as a standalone. And there's just too much reference to other things that you don't tie up the loose ends of. So we'll need to go through and cut those bits out. So we've retained maybe, I'd say, 30% of the World of Witches in this current book. But there is a lot more backstory that I that I had that didn't I didn't get to write or explore in this book,
0: and the trilogy's still there in the back of your head. Like you know, when this yep. absolutely just you know blows up the world, <laughs> I remember. I actually remember um, Mark Smith. He is a Victorian writer, and he has a sort of a, a really cool post-apocalyptic trilogy. And by the time we got to his third book, we were talking just about structure, and he was telling me, "Yeah, look, it's, it's that's how you do it with a trilogy." He's like, "You start. He start in the village." Then you yep. move to the region and then you move to the world. So <laughs>
1: Yes. Well, oh, that's great. I'm I'm I've learned something from this. Great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I look, I mean, I, I learned it from Mark. I'm not taking credits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I, I feel like it would be really easy to look at the spider and her demons and see a superhero narrative. And it is it's there's definitely there. There is definitely something of the hero's journey. But you don't write Z as having powers so much as she has a struggle, a struggle to understand herself in a world where no one is like her. It's a fraught situation that causes Z a lot of pain. How, did, how do you feel about this fantasy of difference that we do get from superhero narratives? And it's so like, it so often gets played as, as either exotic or empowering.
1: It's funny that you word this question that way. When I wrote the first draft, I really wanted it to be a superhero story. Like Z getting costumes, going out and saving people or trying to save people and trying to figure out that part of her identity. And Michelle came in and said, I can see what you're trying to do, but it doesn't sound like you're enjoying what you're writing. She said it sounded like I really wanted to lean into the body horror aspect of it. And if I wanted to do that, just do it. And I think her giving me permission to do that really changed it for when I wrote my second draft. I didn't bother with the whole trying to make it a superhero story, basically. I let it be about the struggle with her identity and it sucks struggling with your identity. Um, yeah, it it turned into what it is without my permission.
0: That's the, that, and look, I think it I think it ends up still being something of a superhero story it just challenges I think this really kind of and and bless them like they created something brilliant but it it, it we've moved away from Stanley and Jack Kirby and people putting on tights like we've yeah we we can acknowledge that and say that like n- not all heroes wear crotch hugging capes <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> Um, how do I talk about the incredible action and drama of the book without spoilers? I will, like, I will say you do a terrific job managing some high level violence. (laughs) How did you know what was the right mix? Um, so
1: because, because normally when I write fan fiction, I don't care about how violent or graphic or even when writing short stories, I don't worry about that. But in my first, the first two drafts that I wrote for this book, uh, Michelle said to me, I really like the violence that you have. Do you want to put more of it in? And I think it was because she realized that I was holding back just because I was so conscious of this being a YA book that could go out into the world where 14-year-olds could read it. Mm. And she said, oh, no, there's there's no worry about that. We worry about it if it has spicy scenes, so basically sexual content. And because my book doesn't have that, she was basically like, go wild. Uh, if we need to pull anything back, we'll pull things back. So I think from draft two to three, I probably upped the violence by about forty percent.
0: I feel like we could have a long discussion about that's what's wrong with the world, where the powers that be, <laughs> the powers that be are just like. Kill everyone you want in the most graphic way possible, but please don't show too much flesh below the décolletage. Yeah, Um, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, let's let's not, let's not, because this is a gorgeous (laughs) book and I want to keep... Was there any specific visual influence for the high... I'm going to keep just calling them the high-impact scenes to avoid spoilers.
1: Um... I don't think... I don't... No, it was one of those things where... I could picture it in my mind, but I don't really know if there was a source for it. Uh, To to prevent spoilers, I guess the restaurant scene had been plotted out in my mind from draft one, and it did change in terms of violence and gore as I rewrote it. But I think the touchstones were already there Mm. from the beginning.
0: And this... This is alluded to in the synopsis that people can read on the back of the books, but I'm still going to speak in vague terms. Did you ever worry or was there ever a risk in having these abilities unveil themselves the way they do? You know what I'm talking about here? You, uh,
1: you, you can you can spoil this. It's fine because it's the synopsis everywhere. No, you, you spoil referring- it.
0: No, you spoil <laughs> it.
1: I, okay, I assume you're referring to Z eating a person?
0: Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so can you rephrase the question for me, please?
0: <laughs> no worries. Did you ever think there was a risk having Z's abilities unveiled the way they do in that she, you know, reflexively eats someone?
1: <laughs> I think it was really important to me for these, I guess, what she perceives as a curse to also be viewed as a power, which I think is quite a common trope in a lot of these kind of stories. But I really wanted that to be the moment for her where that's the catalyst, where she's put in a situation where she has no choice but to use Mm. her curse, I suppose. And I also really, oh, God, that's a spoiler. No, okay, I'm going to stop it there. Yeah, that's, no. I mean that's <laughs> I
0: I read it I read it on the back and I thought okay what am I getting into here are we playing a really are we are we t- walking a really tense moral tightrope in that sort of anti-hero way and what I found in the book was a scene that very much first of all it establishes the way um Z's spider persona that 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 part of herself is is both apart and separate to her like that it can it almost it almost has a, an ability beyond her conscious mind which i thought was really interesting establishing for later scenes but then it also kind of engaged in this really interesting kind of posthumanist discussion around like we have this anthropocentric idea of morality and you know like spiders you know our spider out in the wild is not going like, oh, is it right to eat this guy? I'm not sure. Maybe I'll just go to McSpider Donald's and just have a person burger instead.
1: Beautiful. God, I'd love to read a book just about that.
0: <laughs> it was just, yeah, but it, it, it really, like, it, it I, I went from going, ooh, is this going to be one thing? And instead, it, it, it actually, for me, it established really well philosophically who Z was and, and how this was all going to play out. There, there was actually think, stuff later in the book yeah. that made more sense
1: i think cuz just going off the blurb it's easy to picture it as the as someone who in the shadows goes around eating like multiple people for mm. kicks or for survival and i didn't really want it to be that kind of story i did consider it but i wanted the juxtaposition between the and deal to be D has a sense of I really, really want to be a good person, and Dior is well. What makes a good person a good person? Is it intent? Is it the result and consequence of your actions? What makes a good person? What makes a moral person? Mm.
0: And I'm glad you brought Dior back because we, we we brought her we brought her in at the beginning of the conversation and just kind of dangled her there, <laughs> um, and very much like their stories come together, and Dioranzi's journeys, they're about discovery, but I also got this sense they were about liberation. And it's not so much about being free from, but being free to. They both yes. must find ways to, to be themselves within their worlds. And I wondered what you were saying about these kind of parallel liberties of being oneself, but also being accepted by the ones we love.
1: I think it's tough because even the people who know you best, can't know every single part of you. So Z has to be, she still has to mask certain aspects of herself, no matter who she's with. And I think that's, it it wasn't intentional when I wrote it, but I think that's a consequence of me being on the intersection of various identities. So when I'm in a predominantly queer space, I tend to be the only Asian person. And when I'm in an Asian space, I tend to be the only queer person. And so you never really find a place where You can be all of yourself and feel safe. And Z, unfortunately, has borne the brunt of that trauma for me. So when she's with her friends, she can't be her spider demon self. When she's with her aunt, she, I mean, even with her aunt, she can't be her spider demon self, really, because of how restrictive her aunt is. But she doesn't really have a person or a space where she can be fully who she is without worrying how, People will love her.
0: I am speaking with Sydney Koo. Uh, Sydney's new book is called The Spider and Her Demons. Sydney, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank
1: you, Andrew. I had such a good time.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And thank you again to Sydney Ku. Sydney's new book is The Spider and Her Demons, and it is out now. <laughs> Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Ganagara people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch with us here at Final Draft. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know which conversations you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. You can find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look for the handle at finaldraft 2 Ser. You can go old-fashioned and send us an email. It's finaldraft at 2 And subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is a way to get a new Final Draft episode every week. You could also, you know, give us a little star rating, a thumbs up, however they, uh, however they let you do that acknowledgement on your podcast app. It is a way to help other people discover incredible Australian authors. Look, my name is Andrew Popel. I am going to go do some reading, but I will be back next week with more incredible conversations with Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.